John Allen Polos has been writing about how to promote mathematical literacy for nearly 40 years now. His latest book, Who's Counting? Uniting Numbers and Narratives with Stories from Pop Culture Puzzles, Politics, and More, features selected columns from his monthly ABC News series of the same name, along with updates and brand new original essays in which he examines how understanding data better can improve our thinking and decision making. It's published by Prometheus Books, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome New York Times bestselling author John Allen Bullis to our show now. Hello. Hello. Good to be with you. Now, I wasn't very good at math when I was in school, so I guess I'm not alone in having difficulty making sense of the numbers and probabilities behind real-world events, political calculations, and, and also just making everyday personal <laughs> decisions. Uh, well, I I think you're probably quite good at that. I mean, you're given <laughs> given your radio show and uh, all your uh, interviewees. Um, but in any case, uh, I talk about mathematics in a very generalized sense, not just computation, but as you mentioned, probability, logic, puzzles, even philosophical issues that have, that have a, a numerical kind of smell to them. And uh, as I wrote in the numeracy, it's still the case. I mean, one of the primary uh, light motives still holds today. Too many of us are, are remain enumerate, mm-hmm. and the social enumeracy remains a vastly underrated driver of bad policy and bad politics, and sometimes bad personal decisions as well. And it feels like the world is getting more complicated. Are you arguing that the consequences of our societal mathematical illiteracy may be even more damaging now than before? I think it, it might be. I mean, uh, as you say, the world is getting more complicated, and uh, it's not clear that, uh, that we are. <laughs> and uh, power and ignorance, as uh, many people have noted, is a, a very bad combination. And unfortunately, uh, that combination is um, perhaps more prevalent now than it was 30 years ago. By the way, you you interviewed me 30 years ago for NMRC <laughs> when we both had uh, more uh, dark hair, darker hair. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, I'm glad to have you back. Um, have things improved in recent years uh, with the focus on teaching what's called STEM in our schools? Uh, it has. In, 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 and some level, I mean, that's uh, it, science, it's, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Right. Yes. Uh, uh, at at some level, of course, it has. At, at, uh, just as in many areas of uh, life, uh, the rich get richer, the poor get more numerous, and uh, in uh, education, that's the case as well. The well-educated become more well-educated, and the poorly educated become more numerous. So. Uh, at the highest levels, yeah, I think things have improved. I mean, people, uh, you know, come here from all over the world to go to uh, graduate school in mathematics, but yet um, it's it, there's still a huge ocean of, uh, of ignorance, for a, a lack of a kinder term, which does undermine a lot of uh, what we want to accomplish regarding all kinds of social issues. Now, why do you think there is that ignorance? Is it just that these things aren't being taught well in our schools? It's partly that, and it's partly a kind of myopic uh, 
focus on uh, computation. I mean, uh, mathematics is is a, a broad field. In fact, it's kind of an imperialist discipline, which invades all kinds of other disciplines, and it's related to issues in philosophy and psychology, gullibility, and um, unfortunately, there's uh, there's still in many areas. Uh, an emphasis on computation and less on uh, uh, understanding. I mean, even Ron DeSantis in, uh, in Florida says, uh, you know, he wants people to go back to two and two equals four. And of course, people should be able to compute, but um, he'd be horrified to realize that two and two is four. It uh, uh, makes reference to a digital number system and a binary number, a non-binary <laughs> number system. I mean, Binary one zero plus one zero is one uh, zero zero, or even in general, a two and two equals four. You have two cups of water, two cups of uh, added to two cups of soggy popcorn, you get uh, three or uh, two cups of popcorn. Rather, you get three soggy cups of popcorn. Yeah, you don't get four cups of popcorn if you do no, two you, and two. No, you don't. So in that at least uh, restricted sense, but uh, so. Understanding math means understanding this context, uh, when it's uh, applicable, when it's not. And again, it's not just numbers. There, there are paradoxes. Of, I'm talking a book about uh, one reason, perhaps, for the um, uh, lockstep nature of uh, Republican unity is something called Wolf's Dilemma. And uh, Wolf's Dilemma is, um, is uh, the following. Imagine there's some beneficent... Uh, billionaire who, uh, who promises a group of people before him, whom, whatever, uh, $100,000 each if they each refuse to uh, uh, press the button in front of them within 30 minutes. So all, however many there are, do not press the button in front of them. And after 30 minutes, they'll each get $100,000. But if any one of them does press the button, that person will get $10,000 and everybody else will get zero. So most people will, almost all, will try to hold out for the 100000 but there's always a fear that there's uh, somebody who will defect and press the button. And what does that have to do with politics? Well, I mean, uh, the payoffs in politics are much different and they're much less precise. But if Republicans hang together, uh, they'll get an award analogous to the $100,000, whereas if one of them or a few of them defect and uh, and deviate from whatever the Republicans are, uh, are pushing at the time, that person will perhaps briefly be lionized by uh, Democrats or independents, but, and everyone else will probably have a decreased chance for... Uh, being elected, I mean the, the analogy is 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 loose, but there are a lot of such analogies where game theory, uh, Wolf's uh, dilemma, which is a variant of the prisoner's dilemma, uh, uh, are suggest some insights. So that and there's nothing necessarily uh, too numerical about that. And there are a lot of issues I talk about in the book, which you know puzzles, paradoxes uh, that uh, illuminate. Uh, uh, present-day uh, phenomenon but from it, a kind of oblique angle. It's not just Republicans. Uh, there's oh, a Democrat no, named not. Joe Manchin who yeah, right, is also yeah. part of this. Well, okay. in, well, in this book, you provide examples from government, mass media, natural disasters, the COVID-19 pandemic, conspiracy theories, climate change, fake news, and, and popular culture. Uh, 
I, I don't right. know if we're going to get into all of them, but uh, <laughs> they're all interesting. Should we think of being capable in mathematics as, as a basic guide to understanding reality? Uh, yes, of course, uh, especially mathematics broadly conceived, and not, not just an ability to multiply or divide or even do more advanced mathematics. I mean, uh, embedding mathematics in a kind of cultural framework, uh, a, a philosophical framework, and uh, inducing a certain amount of skepticism and wariness uh, is important. I mean, I, I have a feeling that gullibility is as much a problem as the numeracy. And I mean, fake news is, uh, is you know, is a big topic, but uh, there are all kinds of psychological foibles that are relevant, uh, confirmation bias and uh, just simple repetition. But one that people don't realize is what's called a conjunction fallacy. If you tell a story with a lot of details, it's going to be judged much more plausible, uh, even if it's less probable with all these details. If you have a senator who's a moderate senator, he lives modestly, he's a devoted husband, and, and, uh, and he's devoted to his, sickly, or his sick daughter. So he's perfectly wonderful guy. So given these two options about this particular senator, which is more likely, that he accepted a bribe or that he accepted a bribe and he used the money to pay for his sick daughter's uh, operation? And most people would say the latter is more more uh, more likely, but uh, uh, it's actually the case, just the plain fact that he accepted a bribe. I think the probability of one event is always going to be greater than the probability of several events. So there's kind of a, a, a interplay between plausibility and probability. Put in more, more details, and it becomes more plausible in your story, uh, but less probable. And the internet is full of details and factoids that anybody can cobble together to support any sort of outlandish theory, and people do. And then there are things that confuse me, like um, understanding why the Fed raises interest rates to fight inflation. Wouldn't that add to inflation? No, it would slow down spending. People aren't going to be as likely to borrow uh, if the interest rate is higher. But, um, yeah, and well, that would cool off. I mean, the theory is at least that that would cool off the economy. But um, in any case, I mean, uh, there's an interesting quote I always like about Mark Twain to get back to fake news, and that's uh, something like the following. Uh, it's much easier to con people than it is to con uh, convince them that they've been conned. And uh, there's something called Brandolino's Law that's very similar. It says the amount of energy needed to refute some story or conspiracy is... Is that because we don't like to believe that we are gullible at times? Oh, of course, yeah. Once you, especially once you publicly uh, make a stance, uh, it's much harder to disabuse uh, you of uh, whatever you're uh, proposing. So... Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it is harder, much harder to re refute a bunch of nonsense, especially when it comes in rapid fire uh, sound bites, than it is to uh, to produce. Uh, it's, it's harder to uh, refute than it is to produce. Everybody can produce nonsense. My guest on today's London Lopin at Large here on WBAI New York, 
99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org is John Allen Polos, whose latest book is Who's Counting? Uniting Numbers and Narratives with Stories from Pop Culture Puzzles, Politics, and More. It's published by Prometheus Books. You've been educating your readers and viewers on not only the formal properties of the numbers, statistics, and probabilities behind news stories, but also about what they mean and how they should be interpreted. Isn't that the job of our leaders and the folks who are expert guests on radio and TV talk shows? Are they too often limited by their by their own biases? Uh, often that's the case. And uh, often if they're politicians, I mean, it sometimes pays not to appear too smart. I mean, that people often said that uh, Bill Clinton was very smart, but he was smart enough to not show it. And, uh, you know, you're going to turn off a lot of people and you'll be dismissed as a, an elitist or whatever if you uh, actually, you know, try to explain something. So uh, as a result, our at least political leaders uh, often get about that and just go with, uh, with whatever they perceive to be popular, perceive to be related to their, uh, their identity. Well, some politicians strike me as not being all that smart. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> we, we have one, uh, well, uh, didn't, don't we have one representative who doesn't know the difference between peach and, well, okay, let's forget that. Yeah, yeah no, the Petri. Uh, the, yeah, Petri. She and, wants the, the Petri. People are yeah. uh, raised in Peachtree dishes. Yeah. That's what she thinks Bill Gates wants. Marjorie Taylor Greene instead of Petri dishes. Mm-hmm. But that, that yeah, Herschel Walker is a, another uh, uh, brilliant fellow. But, uh, yeah, and uh, nevertheless, he's tied with uh, Raphael Warnock, who's a, a very good senator, at least in, in my opinion. Also, people want to shy away sometimes from controversial issues, I mean, uh, at least publicly. Actually, abortion, uh, there's an interesting little... Uh, story I tell a counter argument to people who are anti-abortion and that's um, imagine the following situation let's say uh, there's uh, there's a, a pandemic or a virus or a hole in the in the ozone or all kinds of, uh, of factors that result in women becoming pregnant with 15 20 uh, babies at a time. And imagine also that there's advances in technology, medicine, surgery, neonatal care, that uh, some or all of these uh, 15 or 20 fetuses could be saved if they were intervened, if if there was an intervention. Uh, So then, unless uh, someone who's anti-abortion is sufficiently doctrinaire, uh, they'd have to say, well, if you can save all of them, you should save all of them. But does that, uh, would they sign on to a 20-fold increase in the birth rate? Uh, I don't think so. So, uh, uh, you know, there, so there's a, a, a limit. I mean, it's kind of a reductive certain argument. Uh, such a state of nature isn't the case right now. But were it the case and were those advances in medicine uh, achieved, that would be, uh, you know, a test if they are as absolutists in their opposition to abortion as they sometimes claim to be. You propose a test for someone who wants to be president. 
Uh, yeah. Would that I, be I a math think, test? Uh, sort of. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, companies, uh, Google, other high-tech companies always give uh, little tests to, uh, to their uh, prospective employees. But there could be a test for a president. I mean, wouldn't uh, you wouldn't want it to be so technical, but um, you could provide it with a, a bunch of, uh, you know, uh, provide, uh, have the test contain, uh, you know, five or six uh, puzzles. Uh, one is about scaling, the way things scale up. Uh, you can't scale up linearly, but um, I mean, a, a, a test you could, uh, uh, an example of a puzzle that would get at that. Imagine you have a toy car that's one-tenth the dimension of a real car. And if it takes, let's say, a gallon of paint to uh, paint the, the model car, how much would it take to paint the regular car, which is 10 times as long, 10 times as high, and so on? And the answer isn't 10 times as much paint, but 10 cubed, 10,000 uh, times as much paint, because you scale up with the cube, uh, the volume of what it is you're doing. And uh, same thing with anything that scales up with volume. I mean, even just a kind of everyday example, pizza, eight-inch pizza and a 10-inch pizza. I mean, there's a, a vast difference, an eight-inch and 12-inch pizza. You think, oh, well, 50% more, but an eight-inch pizza, I mean, a 12-inch pizza is 50% more, and it's more than twice the size uh, because it scales up with the square of the dimensions uh, in uh, I realize it's hard to follow on the radio, but um, with blackboard, I can make that more convincing. But and um, you know, same thing. Estimating, estimating is a very useful skill for everybody, certainly for politicians, and you can provide examples of that kind of uh, test, uh, that kind of calculation as well. Here, here, here's a test that your readers might want to think of. Um, uh, how about the following? There are uh, there's a bag of potatoes that weighs 100 pounds and it's 99% water. 100 pounds, 99% water. You leave it outside for a few days and it becomes dehydrated. Now it's uh, only 50% water. Now how much does it weigh? And, um, you know, you can do the calculation, but uh, it's uh, a little bit tricky. It's not going to just uh, be, it's not going to be 50 pounds? No, uh, yeah, it'll be how much does it weigh? Yeah, if it goes from 99% water to 98% water, ah. then, then what's it going to be? Uh, how much is it going to weigh? Uh, it's, it's got one pound of uh, pure potato essence, and so it's going to be 50 pounds, right? Now, puzzles is a word you use throughout the book. You just mentioned them. In fact, you headed your first chapter, Puzzles as a Prelude. Um, what, what is it about puzzles that uh, relates to what you're talking about in this book? Well, I, I, one of my first books was Mathematics and Humor. It's a kind of uh, continuum between the two. They're, they're similar in a lot of ways, logic, patterns, uh, uh, abstract, and so on. And uh, somewhere between pure humor and pure mathematics lie, lie jokes or lie puzzles. And puzzles often are more, more substantial than jokes, but they're, again, on the continuum between mathematics and storytelling. In fact, one of the uh, uh, obsessions I have in several of my books is kind of not just in this book, Uniting Narratives and Numbers, 
but in general, uh, if you want to vary the uh, vary the uh, illusion of stories versus statistics uh, is uh, another way to do it. And I, in uh, math and humor, I talk about the interplay between uh, humor and uh, and mathematics, and it's I, I try to cross the chasm between these two uh, on the surface very uh, disparate disciplines. Uh, and, but there's not a chasm between them. Uh, you know, I try to put my own rickety bridges connecting uh, uh, stories and statistics or math and, and narratives, numbers and narratives uh, uh, to vary the alliteration. And um, I mean, thinking that there are two different realms, like, oh, math is something I don't want to think about. Uh, but math is implicit in one sense or another. Again, in this very generalized sense of math, people have a very restricted sense of the uh, notion of what math is, that it's just computation, but math is, uh, is only computation the, way, the same way that writing a novel is only typing. Um, <laughs> What's the Monty Hall puzzle? Monty Hall puzzle is um, the following. It's based on the show uh, a number of years ago uh, in which there is a contestant and a host, and there are three doors, and behind one of the doors is a car. Between, behind the other two doors, there's nothing. And uh, the contestant will choose a door, one, two, or three. And the host, who knows what's behind all three doors, will open one of the doors, but he always opens a door behind which there's nothing. So the host, the guest, let's say, picks door number two. And then the host, uh, will open one of the other two doors that have nothing behind it. So then the host asks the contestant, do you want to switch your revolt? Uh, there's now only two, uh, two doors closed. I opened one of them. Uh, do you want to switch your vote? And uh, people, have, even some well-known mathematicians think it doesn't make any difference. It's a one, one half chance of uh, choosing a door behind which there's a car. But there is a difference. You should switch your vote because there's a one-third chance you pick the right door to begin with. Two-thirds chance is one of the other two doors. The fact that one is opened by the host um, means the two-thirds probability is, is focused on the one remaining door. So if you switch doors, you go from a probability of one-third of winning the, uh, winning the card to two-thirds. And what's interesting about that, there are lots of variants. I've got some, a couple of variants in the book. But you can think of it instead of Monty Hall, I, I invent the character Taunty Hall, who's kind of, uh, you know, a uh, psychopath. And uh, the same setup, there's three doors. And uh, behind one of them, there is a, a spray, a toxic spray. I've said if the, host, if the guest opens that door, he'll be sprayed with this toxic fume. So same setup, uh, the, the guest picks a door, and the host, Taunty Hall in this case, opens one of the other doors, the one behind which he knows there's nothing, and then asks whether he, the guest should switch. And now it's the same setup, but the guest should not switch because he wants to minimize his chances of being sprayed with this uh, toxic substance. So he should stick, in that, uh, stick to the door he picked in that case. It's, which has a one-third probability of uh, housing the toxic spray. Again, a lot of this stuff I, I, I 
feel some sympathy for listeners because uh, radio is not probably the ideal medium uh, to, uh, I mean, I, I, I feel a need for a blackboard. I'm writing on a <laughs> computer screen. <laughs> but um, uh, in any case, I, yeah, I do find puzzles of all sorts um, uh, intriguing, and especially if they have some social component, they can be interpreted uh, in terms of social policy or whatever. And I, 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 I talk about justified true belief, for example, is not being knowledge, and there's a lot of puzzles about that. And, um, and you include one called Smullyan's Stumper. Uh, that one would be very hard. Well, yeah, uh, Smullyan was a famous uh, logician uh, who raised Smullyan, and he talked about puzzles with uh, liars and truth-tellers. And the Stumper involves uh, three kinds of people, not just people who always tell the truth and people who always lie, but people who sometimes tell the truth and sometimes lie, those are the very hardest people to, uh, to deal with. Uh, the other two you know, kind of standard uh, methods for isolating a truth teller or a liar. So you've got uh, three people and uh, you want to find out uh, something or other. What, question, what two questions can you ask uh, the, uh, these people? Uh, Oh, there's only one person. You don't know if the person's a, a truth teller, a liar, or a sometimes truth teller. So there's one person. What do you ask him to, if you want to find out the truth to whether a, a road leads to the Capitol? And uh, the, the reason it's difficult is you first have to isolate by a question, uh, who is the person who sometimes lies and sometimes tells the truth? Once you know that, you ask one of the other people who, are, who always lie or always tell the truth, and then it's easy to to get them to agree on an answer using very uh, simple notions of logic. Well, we see uh, from just looking at the way politics is, is uh, working in this country that uh, a lot of people are perfectly happy following the one who tells the lies. Uh, yeah, that's, um, that's true. So is uh, that because other because it's not just math, but other things that are being satisfied? Oh, yeah, it's not, ju it's not just math, but I mean, it's psychology, it's a desire for a strong leader, even if strong means, uh, you know, fascist. Hmm. And, uh, oh, yeah, I mean, gullibility. Uh, I, love, I mean, I think a lot of people who claim to believe Trump, I mean, don't really, but uh, they support him for, for other reasons. And, um, and that's... Uh, that's unfortunate, then. That's partly gullibility, partly psychology, partly all kinds of other things. Aren't, but, uh, aren't the apps on our phones, smart devices, and social media platforms supposed to help us understand these things? How much can we rely on them and trust them? Well, I think uh, a lot. I mean, they're designed by programmers and uh, computer people who, you know, devote a lot of time to writing uh you know, bulletproof programs, but um, you, you have to know how to use the program. You have to know how to interpret the result. Like, like I said, about two and two is four. Of course, that's true, but you can e it's easy to come up with counterexamples, and, uh, and, uh, and that's for two and two is four. For more complex mathematics, uh, it's, it's all the easier to make up nonsense. I mean, um, it's a story about the... the uh, tribe of uh, 
bear hunters who used to survive quite well with their bow and arrow. They would shoot a bear and eat it or whatever they do with bears. But once they became um, aware of uh, vector analysis, instead of shooting at a bear to the northwest, they shot at one arrow to the north, one arrow to the west, and the bear would get away. But the way you add arrows is would be such that it would be an arrow to the northwest. I mean, you have to know what's vector analysis. But um, you know, any time the mathematics is at all, uh, you know, non elementary, it's very easy to, to fool people. And uh, some people do it intentionally, other people just misinterpret the mathematics. But um, that's why I think, uh, I mean, instilling a bit of skepticism, wariness uh, is, is very important. It's not taught. I mean, I, I taught a course once in, uh, in Thailand, and uh, I was, you know, noticing that no matter what I wrote in the board, I was a, a class of uh, nurses. No matter what I wrote on the board, the class would nod their head and say, ka, ka, yes, yes. And then I was wondering, do they really understand that? I just said something complicated. So I started writing all kinds of nonsense on the board. And they would nod their heads and say, ka, ka. And then I said, this is nonsense. Why are you agreeing with me? And in that case, you know, it's a respect for authority. I'm in the front of the room. They're there. Yeah. And, you know, and they didn't. You know, they weren't there to think, but to, I don't know what to. And uh, that's an extreme version of what is often the case throughout the world, which is, okay, we'll go along with it. Uh, and people don't think critically about uh, too much of what's told to them often. You mentioned arrows. Uh, we recently did a show in which we talked about how things changed when the revolver was developed. And... Uh, it changed the equation uh, before then uh, with a single-shot gun. Uh, the, uh, it was pretty equal for Indians, who Native Americans, who had um, bows and arrows. But uh, once the revolver came along, uh, the, uh, it, was, no, it was now unbalanced. Uh, yeah, I mean, that uh, changes it. Technology changes it. I mean, uh, Second Amendment people, I mean... Uh, are always talking about the original intent of the uh, founding fathers, and uh, you know, but they don't mention that they were talking about muskets, not about the AR-15s, and uh, you know, that's totally different phenomena. Yet, uh, 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 amendments uh, that were written uh, with muskets in mind are still uh, being applied to uh, AR-15s, and who knows what, maybe machine guns. Pretty soon. I mean, you don't uh, talk about barter. You wouldn't want somebody who believes in barter to charge of our economy. But um, apparently, you know, sometimes you refer to the founding fathers' intentions and sometimes you don't. You're listening to Let It Low Pit at Large on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with John Allen Paulos. Uh, if you sign up to become a member of WBAI during today's show with a contribution of $50 or more, you can receive a free copy of his book, Who's Counting? 
uniting numbers and narratives with stories from pop culture, puzzles, politics, and more. To do that, just go online to give to WBAI.org or call 212-209-2950 during today's show. We'll be happy to send you a copy. That's give and then the number 2, WBAI.org, or 212-209-2950. But don't forget to make that $50 donation in the name of London Low Paid at Large. And we thank you very much. And return now to John Allen Paulus. Um, his 1989 best-selling book, Enumeracy, was one of the first to show how storytelling and everyday examples could make the subject accessible. And it resulted in that, a rare thing, didn't it? Uh, the uh, appearance of uh, a, a mathematician on David Letterman's show. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, that, that was uh, rare. I was also in uh, People magazine. I was an answer on Jeopardy. And none of those things are... Uh, uh, very likely, but um, yeah, uh, it was uh, amazing. It, it was an instance of just also blind luck too. I, mm. I, what set off the thing is I was uh, there was a, a cancellation on the Today Show, which at the time was the most popular daytime show, and uh, a, uh, the booking agent knew my publisher and said, "Do you have anybody who could come in on short notice?" He said, yeah, okay, my numeracy had just come out. So I went to uh, New York. I sat there with Jane Pauley, and all of a sudden it, uh, it took off. And uh, was a, this was long before the Internet. But even then, it was kind of a hall of mirrors. You'd appear in this newspaper, and then on yeah, that radio interview, and then you would talk at some location. And uh, that hall of mirrors effect is accentuated, uh, accentuated now. It's, uh, yeah. It's and that book was followed by A Mathematician Reads the Newspaper and Irreligion. Uh, yeah, Irreligion. Uh, you get people, uh, religious people upset with that book? Uh, yeah, I did. I got people upset with that <laughs> book. Um, but, I mean, uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me why, uh, you know, people, uh, politicians in speeches, uh, ostensibly devoted to religious diversity, understanding, tolerance, whatever, uh, that tolerance isn't explicitly extended to the millions of atheists and agnostics in this country. Hmm. Um, it's, um, there, in fact, uh, those people, atheists, agnostics like me, are often seen as suspect by many religious people. I mean, I doubt uh, I mean, anybody, uh, an overt atheist or agnostic could be elected president, uh, for example. And um, that's too bad. You suggest that almost every major issue facing today's world is made more difficult by false interpretations, incorrect assumptions, or a general misunderstanding of how numbers inform narratives and statistics shape stories. How is that applied to the way information about the COVID pandemic has been reported by government government officials, doctors, and the media? Well, there's a phenomenon uh, called apophenia which means you know, uh, thinking something is significant um, uh, when it's not. And one, one factor, at least, there are a number of uh, yeah, the, the stories about dread consequences if you were to be vaccinated or you, know, you get a, a blood clot or whatever together with the political influence of people who wanted, wanted to make it a political issue instead of a health issue. But... Um, and in a recent New York Times opinion piece, you cautioned about the way in which 
we interpret and report disease-related data. That, that's true. I mean, we don't, I mean, uh, people don't know the difference between risk and relative risk. I mean, you, you, the relative risk, if you ingest some substance, might be, uh, might be three, which means you're three times as likely to get it as somebody who doesn't ingest that substance. But if the, first, but if the general level of risk is one in 10 million, uh, then you're three times as likely it's one in 330,000, which is still probably nothing uh, too much to worry about. And so people, I mean, even t and, and people use technical terms, people in scientists or whatever, which is good for a paper, uh, a scholarly paper, but they're often misinterpreted. Yeah, there's a, a story a few years ago about the odds that a, a black convicted of a certain uh, kind of aggravated murder was 99% uh, uh, likely to be executed or sentenced to life in prison, but the odds of a black being uh, so sentenced and imprisoned are four times the odds of a white. And people, you know, but the, the, the authors of the paper are using the technical definition of odds, which is the probability something happens divided by the probability something doesn't happen. And uh, it's not that 25% of whites so convicted in prison uh, uh, were so convicted in prison, but something like 96%. Uh, and the odds, again, 96, 99% divided by 1% is 99. 96% divided by 4% is 24. 24 is one fourth of 99 approximately. So it's still, you know, an egregious difference, but nowhere near as, as extreme, They're between 99 and 25 percent. And I mean, the, the numbers are just made up for illustration. But the point is that terms like odds or uh, relative risk or false positives aren't, uh, aren't uh, really understood. And uh, hey, you say that we should really know the difference between risk and relative risk for various subgroups of the population? Uh, if uh, if it's something that's relevant to uh, your life, yeah. I mean, just in, in general, yeah. The relative risk is uh, how much more or less. If the relative risk is more than the underlying risk for people in general, then uh, you might want to stay away from it, or you might not. If, if the underlying probability is so low, but um, and you know, false positives are. Uh, even just, I mean, read, I've read stories after the vaccine came out after six months or so, and uh, people said, well, uh, in, in a very highly vaccinated state, I think it was Massachusetts, half the people who are hospitalized are vaccinated. So that proves vaccines don't work. But if 90%, 95% of a state or a city is vaccinated, and uh, then, of course, you're going to have... Uh, I mean, let's say 90% is easier. Let's say 200 people are in the hospital. That 100 come from a set of people who are vaccinated, of whom they, which constitute 90% of the whole population. And uh, 10, 100 come from the 10% who aren't vaccinated. So 10% have 100 cases in the hospital. 90% have 100 cases in the hospital as well. So the vaccines are quite effective. You're um, much more likely to be in a hospital if you're one of the 10% who aren't vaccinated. But it sounds, if you just stated baldly, oh, vaccines don't work. Half the people in the hospital are vaccinated. Did I write this wrong, or did you write that there's nothing wrong with fuzzy math? 
Uh, I wrote that, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, fuzzy math is, 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 is nothing wrong with it when it's appropriate. I mean, people uh, often have a bias towards the, the precise, and they want things to be precise if they're precisely available. But if they're not, then it's better to say, well, it's, here's the confidence interval. It's between 28 and 40% instead of 36.9%. In fact, one way you can tell the difference between people who have a background in science and math and people who don't is if you give a very precise number, like the weight of this brick is 83.69457% pounds, then the people who have a scientific background will say, that's absurd. What do all those digits mean? Whereas if you don't, it's often the case that people are very impressed. Ah, this guy knows his stuff. He's got five different, uh, five decimal points, uh, five integers after the decimal point. So, um, you know, precision, if it's available, it's fine. But often numbers are given without context and their so-called confidence interval, uh, which, you know, most of the time will lie within a certain interval take the study over again, you're going to get a different number. But in general, it'll be in a certain interval, depending on how big the sample is. And you say... Sorry. No, no. Finish your thought. No, people often um, are, you know, just give a a number and think it's somehow uh, gospel, and that's not the case. Well, you also say that we should know the difference between... Uh, the mean of a set of numbers and its median between the mean income and the median income in the United States. Uh, Those terms get confused. There's a big difference, isn't there, between the mean income, uh, which would be the average income, I guess, and the median income, which would be affected by the fact that there are trillionaires Right, exactly. I mean, you put uh, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk in a very poor neighborhood, the uh, mean income in that neighborhood is going to go way up. But the median income, the income such that half the people in that neighborhood earn less than it, half the people earn more than it, it will still remain what it was. That maybe the average house costs only uh, $75,000 in that very poor neighborhood. But the average income would be, you know, $20 million. My guest on today's Leonard Lopit at Large here on WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org is John Allen Polos, P-A-U-L-O-S. His latest book, Who's Counting? Uniting Numbers and Narratives with Stories from Pop Culture, Puzzles, Politics, and More, published by Prometheus Books. Now, you also suggest that you, you wondered why uh, Americans don't elect scientists to political office. Oh, uh, right. And uh, I mean, and that, that's uh, that's kind of unique to uh, the United States. Uh, many other countries do have uh, scientists, uh, do elect scientists. I mean, Angela Merkel had a PhD in physical chemistry. I sometimes teach in Singapore. And the government there is often full of uh, people with a technical background. Well, I met Boris Johnson, and I can tell you he didn't. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, I, I can uh, I can believe that. Uh, but uh, people feel somehow offended by uh, scientists. They think science is limiting, and, uh, and they'd much rather take the, the view of some celebrity whose views on evolution or uh, whatever are more congenial. And... Um, 
you know, it's it's unfortunate that that's the case. But uh, Americans are suspicious of uh, of uh, scientists, of elites in general, and uh, that's uh, that's unfortunate. Well, with that in mind, should I assume that you include many members of Congress among those who don't always understand basic mathematics? I think that, or is that it the partisanship that tends to influence how they use the math? I think, depending on the particular congressman or senator, it could be one or the other, or it could be both. I mean, sometimes they're well aware that what they're saying is nonsense, but it's uh, convincing to their supporters. Other times they don't really understand it, and. Um, I mean, no one's going to put forward logical arguments uh, that go against the kind of brain you talked about, the APS diagnostics. I mean, intelligent design is kind of a a bogus science, but um, it's uh, nevertheless, uh, nobody's going to say that. I mean, it's interesting that uh, people who who, uh, subscribe to intelligent design point to the complexity of life and how could you find the... Uh, subs- how can you find uh, an animal with an eye or whatever? It just everything comes together. It's much too complicated for everything to come together, but it's not the case that everything comes together. And those same people uh, are, you know, quite fine with the complexity of the economy. And it, it, the economy is another system. It's not living, but it's quite complex. And you can come together at once, but now you can go to any store. You can find your Snickers bar. You can find that. Uh, Diet Coke, you could find uh, uh, different vegetables, you could find uh, everything under the sun in any given grocery store or any given uh, super, uh, more general store. And nobody said, well, how did this come, come about that you have every item I might want? Well, the economy is very complex uh, after using modern transportation, modern uh, manufacture, it comes together, and nobody doubts that, in particular the people who say that, oh, country had life uh, evolved naturally. They also, I mean, don't say, they always point to some particular sequence that results in this or that animal, and say, well, how unlikely is that? And the answer, of course, is always, that's extremely unlikely, but the right question is, how is how unlikely is something like that? And that's generally much more comfort, much higher. I mean, if you have a deck of cards and you shuffle it and then look at the order, what's the probability you get that particular order of cards? It's minuscule. It's mm-hmm. one over 10 to the 68th power. But it doesn't make sense that to say, oh, you couldn't have got that particular order of cards because it's so unlikely. Yeah, but the right question isn't what's the probability of getting that particular ordering of cards from mm-hmm many shuffles, but what's the probability of getting some order? And of course, you're going to get some order. So the difference between particular outcomes and general outcomes is, is essential, and that's sort of mathematical, but it's nothing you can see in a math class, in too many math classes. Didn't uh, Donald Trump's followers, the ones who claimed that the election was stolen, um, use math to make the claim? Uh, they, you know, they, they invoke mathematics because they're aware that mathematics has a certain prestige and, uh, and, uh, and uh, convincing uh, aspects to it, but they didn't really use mathematics. I mean, what's their Sidney Powell made all kinds of absurd comments, 
and said, uh, was it uh, Trump himself said that probability of getting a result this extreme when he was so far ahead was one in quadrillion or many quadrillion. And, you know, it sounds nice. Uh, you, you throw out a big number and, you know, people don't realize what a quadrillion is. Uh, well, oh, wow, it's so unlikely. He must have stolen the election, of course. Well, when we use mathematics to describe the social world, aren't we faced with questions like, what are we trying to measure or count, and how do we decide whom to include, exclude, or, or qualify? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, you, you, uh, you look at uh, what's the question of uh, how many homeless people are there? Now, how do you count the homeless if somebody's living with his brother-in-law because he lost his job? Is that person homeless? And if someone's you know, uh, occasionally he lives on the street. Is he homeless? Or, or the number of battered women? How do you measure that? I mean, uh, you know, most women don't report uh, uh, the abuse they, they've suffered. And, uh, and you know, yeah, I mean, there, there's, how do you define uh, abuse? How do you define, define battery? And all these everyday notions, I mean, you can operationally find them. But that operational definition is subject to criticism. Maybe that's, that, that doesn't make any sense. So, uh, but uh, any social question, uh, you have to say, well, what exactly does that mean? And if you're too insistent and uh, too picky, I mean, of course, you're dismissed. So. We're pretty much out of time, but I do want to ask you a, a very important question. You say that ordering a medium pizza is almost always a sucker's move. Why? <laughs> uh, because uh, the economies of scale are such that a big pizza is always better. I mean, if you have a pizza that's uh, 10 inches in diameter and one that's 15 inches in diameter, it's not 50% more. It's more than twice the, the area of the pizza because the area varies with the square of the dimensions. So the difference between a 10-inch pizza and a 15-inch pizza is... Uh, is bigger than people think. I think it's just 50% more, but it's more than uh, twice as big. So uh, even if you're not even planning on eating at all, you could always, uh, you know, give it away or just not eat it. Uh, you know, if you're certain that you're not. I mean, I, whenever I get uh, get anything, I usually get the largest thing. And sometimes my wife uh, gets a small coffee or I want a, I want a big one, so I tell her, you get a big latte and I'll think my big latte and part of yours. So anyway, maybe uh, <laughs> I want to thank you so much for being on our show today. I've been speaking with John Allen Paulus, whose latest book is Who's Counting? Uniting Numbers and Narratives with Stories from Pop Culture, Puzzles, Politics, and More. It's published by Prometheus Books. It's been a great pleasure talking with you. Thank you so hey, much for being on our show. It's been a pleasure talking with you as well. Thank you so much. And that brings us to the end of our show. If you're just discovering this program and would like to hear more of our one-hour deep dive interviews, you can access our nearly 700 past shows streaming on demand at WBAI.org. Our podcast, which has surpassed 1 million plays, is available on iTunes, Apple, and everywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter. And if you'd like to write to me, my email address is leonardlopate at WBAI.org. Before I sign off today, I need to ask you to support WBAI to keep the show coming to you weekdays from 1 to 2 p.m. And to, to pay simple things like 
uh, the rent on our tower transmitter and on the studios. We are asking all of our listeners who have the means to do so to make a contribution at whatever level they're comfortable with by calling 212-209-2950 or by going online to give to WBAI.org right now. That's 212-209-2950 or give and the number 2 WBAI.org. We need your help to keep bringing you this unique, in-depth content, information you just don't usually get anywhere else. And as I mentioned earlier, anyone who makes a contribution of $50 or more in the name of Leonard Lopate right now can receive a copy of the book that we've been discussing, which is Who's Counting? Uniting Numbers and Narratives with Stories from Pop Culture, Puzzles, Politics, and More by John Allen Paulos. Uh, you can receive a free copy if you become a member for $50 or more. So why not make that call right now at 212-209-2950 or go online to give to WBAI.org. And you might also consider becoming a sustaining member, what we call a BAI buddy. And we'll say thank you if you do that with a number of perks, including a WBAI tote bag. Uh, you have you become a sustaining member for $10 a month or more. Uh, either way, I hope you'll call right now because WBI relies 100% on listener donations. We don't take ads or foundation grants, which allows us to be completely free speech radio. So if you tune in regularly to Leonard Lopate at Large, why not let us know that you appreciate what we do on the show by going online to give to WBAI.org or by calling 212-209-2950 to play a part in keeping this historic station the only one on the New York radio dial that's 100% listener-sponsored, alive and thriving with your tax-deductible support. And we hope that you can join us again tomorrow when my guest will be Jamie Suskind discussing his new book, The Digital Republic. I hope to see you then. <laughs>